Hello, everyone, and welcome to Boston Balling. I'm your host, Gabby Hurlba. Hope everybody had a great weekend. I actually just got back from a nice weekend trip on Martha's Vineyard, so that was pretty fun. Just got to spend some quality time with friends and just hang out on the beach, and it was nice and relaxing. So that was my weekend. Weather was great, so it was it was a fantastic time. And for anybody who's never been, I highly recommend that you check it out because it's a really beautiful area and there's a lot to do there and so much is walking distance. So definitely check that out if you've never been before because I definitely recommend it. Also want to give a special birthday shout out to my sister who turns 24 today. So happy birthday to her. I uh, hope you have a great day if you're listening, which I know you are. So hope you have a wonderful birthday and hope everyone's having a great start to the week. So I'm excited to bring you another episode with some great sports talk, Boston, the best sports city out there. And, you know, it's, it's really, really fun to be a baseball fan right now. And, and we're just really getting into an exciting part of the season. So I'm pleased to introduce my guest that I have with me today. He's very knowledgeable about baseball and the Red Sox. He hosts the Lockdown Red Sox podcast and he's been doing Red Sox coverage for a long time. So Jason, how are you doing today? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. You're welcome. I didn't, yeah. I didn't go to the Martha's Vineyard. So now I'm a little jealous. I feel like <laughs> I, have, I have some FOMO. But <laughs> yeah, it was my first time going. So it was it was uh, it was a cool experience for me. And I definitely hope to go back some point. Yeah, so, that's so. awesome. I just sat around East Watertown with my dog all weekend. So you win. Uh, well, I'm sure your dog appreciated the attention in the company all weekend. Always. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I appreciate you joining me on the show today. And before we get started, just so people kind of have a little bit of a background on you, could you just tell us how you got involved in working in sports and just, you know, what you've been doing? Yeah, sure. Um, I went to Northeastern. Well, I grew up in upstate New York and I was, uh, everyone asked like, were you a Yankees fan? No, I wasn't. Um, I, I went was... to Ithaca College, so that's funny. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the middle of nowhere. Yep. In Ithaca. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, yeah. So I grew up like two hours North of that, uh, in Rochester. Okay. And then I went to Northeastern because I just wanted to be like near Fenway park. I was just like, you know, enthralled by it. Cause it was, it was just like a landmark. And, um, I majored in business and then, uh, my fourth year at Northeastern cause it's a five-year school. Well, it used to be, I guess now they're trying to make it more of a four-year school, but, uh, my, second co-op there i was working on wall street and i was really bored and like half my day would just be spent on the internet reading about baseball and i was like maybe i should just like do something about this um <laughs> and so i started a website that like nobody read and uh just like sent a lot of emails to people with other websites and i was like hey check out my stuff and if you ever need like help let me know and eventually a bigger website than mine needed some help and i worked for free and just helped them out. And I went back to school after the call up ended and I was like, I think I want to do writing and started working for the student newspaper and covering the women's hockey team at Northeastern. And they had an amazing year. They're like ranked number three in the country at one point. And I got an interview at the Boston Globe and they were like really impressed that I was covering the women's hockey team. And I was like, okay, cool. They, they knew how well they were doing. I was like, wow, this is incredible. And so I got a co-op at the globe and started covering high school sports. And, uh, two years later I got my first internship covering the Red Sox. And so I've been doing it since now I work for the Boston Herald, but 
Um, yeah. yeah, I've been lucky to have like an 11-year career in Boston. That's awesome. Yeah, and who wouldn't want to cover a teams from the best sports city there is, too? Yeah, exactly. And that's that. You know, that's kind of why I moved here. I didn't know what I was going to get into. I just was like, I think I need to be here, and I feel like it just kind of worked out. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I know that you're at the Boston Herald now, which is a great company to be at as well. And also hosting the famous Lockdown Red Sox podcast on the side. So that's the, the famous. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I don't know if it's famous, but people seem to like it. So that's that's good. It is very well known among Red Sox fans, I will say. Yeah, I, I've been surprised by how many people have like been listening and reaching out about it. It's been really awesome. I'm enjoying it. I've never done a podcast before. Like I've been guests on other people's. Uh, I didn't realize how much work went into it. So I have like so much more respect for people like you who are doing this um, every day because now I've realized, wow, it's a lot of work. It is. Yeah, it is. But it's a lot of fun and it's really rewarding and Definitely. just being able to talk sports all the time. I would never be able to complain about that because I do that on a regular basis anyway. <laughs> exactly. That's pretty much what it is. <laughs> yeah, but that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Thanks for giving us that overview. And I'm really excited to have you and the Red Sox, the Red Sox. This season has been definitely very, very exciting as a whole. This team has been very, very good, and I think you can agree that they've surpassed a lot of people's expectations before this season started. And I think going into the season, you know, people thought that they would – some people thought they wouldn't be a good team. And I, you know, I'm I was confident that they would be a good team, just not as good as they are. Never did I think that they would be – winning the AL East at the end of July after the All-Star break. But I did think that they would be a good enough team to compete for a wild card spot. Wow. And so they are just really surpassing expectations. And I think that that's super exciting. And I do credit a lot of that to Alex Cora and just that mentality that he has and just how much the players love playing for him. Yeah. Well, good for you for reading the tea leaves and seeing seeing this team being a playoff team. I didn't think so. I predicted them to win 74 games. I thought they were going to have monstrous problems on the pitching side. You know, a lot yeah. of these guys they had last year didn't pitch well. Um, you know, they got a guy from Japan that we had never heard of. They had two guys coming back from the COVID list with Darwins and Hernandez and Josh Taylor. You know, Eduardo Rodriguez missed the entire season. Garrett Richards hasn't exactly been a healthy model of consistency. Neither has Nathan Navaldi. I just looked at this pitching staff and said there's not enough. You know, yeah. there's there's too many injury risks. Um, there's guys that have a lot of challenges to overcome. And I certainly respect the lineup and respect Alex Cora. Uh, but I just didn't think they had any talent on the pitching side. And I was very wrong, obviously. Um, they've they've impressed. I think the starting rotation is still kind of up in the air is 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 how good they're going to be, but they've survived to the point where Chris sale looks like is almost back now. And Tanner Houck's back in the big leagues. And maybe they'll go get somebody at the trade deadline. All they needed to do was survive until sale came back, make, put some pressure on high and bloom to, to make some acquisitions. And they've done a great job. Yeah, they definitely have. And, you know, speaking of the trade deadline, since it's coming up really, really soon now, you know, I think we've we've really started to see where the holes actually are and what does need to be addressed at the trade deadline. I don't see him making a lot of drastic moves because I don't think that he wants to give up too many of those prospects because he worked so hard to start to rebuild this farm system, which was very much needed because they really did not have much depth 
before um, before Heim came in. And I think he's done a good job of starting to rebuild that farm system and, and develop some solid prospects that could come up in the future. So I don't think he's going to want to give away too many of, of those. But I'm just curious your thoughts on how hardcore you think he's going to go at the trade deadline. I think he's going to surprise some people. I think most people are in are in the uh, kind of in the same category as you is thinking that he's not going to do much. Uh, and I get it. You know, you look at the team and it's like, hey, their offense is playing pretty well. The rotation, they haven't missed a start in the starting rotation, which is crazy. Um, yeah. They've held up. You know, the bullpen's got like four or five guys you can trust in there. Uh, why, why go crazy? But I think the reason is, and the argument that I've been making uh, is the reason to, to make a splash here is because Alex Cora has done a tremendous job with a roster that should not be this good. And I think on a lot of nights is not the best, most talented team on the field. And they win anyways. They win close games. They win extra inning games. They win come from behind games. And if you actually make a splash at the trade deadline and you add like an impact player to this team, number one, it sends a message to the clubhouse that, hey, we, we see what you're doing. We respect it. And we're going to give you a legitimate chance to not just win the division, but maybe go win the World Series. And two, you could you could really patch up some holes. I mean, this isn't a perfect team. You know, first base has become a serious problem. Yeah. Four of their starter, their start, their players in their starting lineup are, really shouldn't be playing against right-handed pitching. They're much better against left-handed pitching. If you look at Kike Hernandez, Hunter Renfro, you know, Christian Arroyo before he got hurt, Bobby Dahlbeck, these are guys who crush lefties and don't hit righties very well. Um, you could really make an improvement in the lineup, especially at first base, with a left-handed hitter. So I, I think they might go out and get a legitimately good left-handed hitter. Or if that doesn't make sense and they find more value on the pitching market, I think they'll bring back an impact pitcher. I think they're going to get an impact player. I don't think it's just going to be the, well, you know, a Steve Pierce type and Eduardo Nunez type. I think they're going to get an impact player, maybe surprise people. And I agree with you that they don't want to give up their prospects, but there's a lot of teams out there that are just looking to shed some salary. And yeah. there's a lot of players out there with big salaries that teams are just trying to get off the books and the Red Sox can take on some money. Yeah, they definitely can. And I agree with you on the first base situation. I think that is a position that needs to be addressed. And I do, I, I do hope that they bring in somebody at the deadline that can play first base. And, and that is a left-handed hitter. And that, that that's a lot of what I've talked about with people too, is that if, if there should be one thing that's a priority, that is definitely a big priority is, is just acquiring somebody that's a solid left-handed hitter that can actually play first base because that's been a question mark position all year. And so if they can bring somebody in that, you know, can play first base, I think that that's going to just, that that's going to be really, really important to the infield and even, and even the lineup and with the pitching, I mean, Chris sale is hopefully going to be coming back soon too. So that'll be a nice little, acquisition in addition to the rotation and about I think getting another pitcher would be beneficial and whether it's a starter or whether it's somebody that you use out of the bullpen at least there's more options and then they can kind of play around with where they put other pitchers and and they can Alice Cora has the ability to kind of move people around more and start to pitch people in areas that they might not usually pitch in. And then with, I mean, Tanner Houck, it's, it's been talked about him, you know, when he comes up and hopefully earns a full permanent spot up here, maybe he'll be in the rotation too. And then you move somebody to the bullpen, like a Perez or a Richard, somebody that's been struggling this season. Yeah. And, and I've been a little surprised that, you know, the, the plan for Tanner Houck has been kind of a, a back and forth, uh, 
pitch in the bullpen on Friday, pitch on the rotation on Wednesday, go back to the bullpen over the weekend, go back to the the rotation the following series, go back to the bullpen again. It's like that surprises me because this guy's been so good. I mean, he's he's flashed the ability to work incredibly well as a starter with only two pitches. And they've talked a lot about, well, he needs a third pitch to be a good starting pitcher. Well, how many pitches does Jacob deGrom throw? How many pitches does Lance Lynn throw? And how many pitches does Denilson Lamette throw? I mean, two pitch starters are are not rare anymore. Uh, Guys can get by with a really good fastball that they can alter at different speeds and throw a four seam and a two seam and then a good breaking ball or a changeup. And he's added a third pitch now that he, he has a split finger fastball that he's thrown a little bit. So now he has three pitches and it just surprises me that they don't just want to put him in the rotation and, and say, here you go, kid, go get him." Um, that they're going to keep running Garrett Richards out there and, and Martin Perez. And uh, I, you know, I'm interested to see how this works. If, if it ends up um, being better for his development in the end, or if it kind of messes with him a little bit and down, he's not as good down the stretch. Yeah. I'm honestly surprised that we haven't seen Tanner Houck yet, to be honest, um, as a, as a, as a, just a consistent starter in the rotation, because I mean, Perez and, and Richards both have not had great starts this season. And so I thought that by now, maybe that now that Houck's had more time to develop in AAA and just really get some time down there that I thought that they would have maybe brought him up earlier, but I think when he does come up, that's going to be a really, really nice addition. And I know it's been talked about a little bit, making um, Garrett Whitlock a starter and just not having him pitch out of the bullpen and just try to ease him into being part of the rotation too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen this year. I think, I don't think this year either. They've, they've just really relied on him in like this one or two inning roll out of the bullpen. And he's been so good. Um, and he's another guy who's really started the year as just a two-pitch pitcher. They wanted him to add a third pitch. His third pitch has actually been great. Uh, I think he added a slider to his changeup and fastball, and, and the numbers have been tremendous. So you can see him being a starter in the future. But at this point in the year, it's like, okay, right, two and a half months left. You're going to try to stretch him out. What's the point? He's a perfectly valuable guy yeah. in a two-inning role. Uh, if you were desperate for a starting pitcher, sure, maybe you start stretching him out. But that's why Hauk is here now. Uh, yeah. And you know, Chris Sales two starts away maybe from coming back into the rotation. So uh, I think Garrett, Will- Garrett Whitlock's been a real pleasant surprise. I still wonder, you know, if it's one of those things where first year in the big leagues kind of caught people by surprise. Let's see what he does next year. But he's been really good. Yeah, I think Whitlock is somebody that you definitely have the option to play around with in the future. Maybe if you're trying to, you know, if if you're trying to just build your rotation and just try to have him be somebody that you could see being part of that. I think that's something that you consider maybe for next year, but there's not really a point now in trying to make him a starter when you have two months or so left in this season and you're actually are making a playoff push. So I think that, you know, he's, he's actually in the perfect spot right now. I feel like in terms of this season and how the roster is constructed and just what they have available pitching wise. I think that he's pitched. They have him pitching in the perfect spot right now. Yeah. Because you know that he can go a couple innings and be pretty consistent because overall he's been, he's had pretty consistently good stuff. And so I like him kind of where he's pitching at now instead of trying to just move him around when, you know, you have, and it it may be one thing if this team was not in contention at all and and they were, you know, towards the bottom of the division, maybe struggling to 500 and you want to play around with some things and just see what people have 
in different spots, but you don't want to do that right now when this is a team that actually could win their division. And at a minimum, we'll probably get a wild card spot because as long as they keep playing well, then they're getting closer to the time when they'll be able to clinch that spot. So you don't want to just play around with too many things when it's almost August. Yeah. Yep. I'd agree with you. I, I think, yeah, I think also, I mean, with the pitching from a pitching standpoint, Andres has to go. <laughs> I I feel badly saying that, but he just has not shown that he can really be somebody that you can rely on anymore. And I think this is something we haven't really been able to say a lot of now that the Red Sox have options, which is, which is something that we haven't been able to really say in a while. I think that he is somebody that you can just get rid of because you'll, you will have enough options. And especially if you bring in another pitcher, I think he would be the first one to go. Yeah. I'm just laughing because my co-host on locked on Red Sox, Lauren Campbell is always like, man, Andres needs to go. Uh, and he so does. you're, 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 you're you have a uh, you have a teammate in that argument. Um, I mean, he pretty much already has gone, right? I mean, he's yeah. on the injured list now, and um, I'm I highly doubt they're in a rush to get him back unless they're desperate for uh, for just an extra arm. But you know, this is I think this is kind of a a, a big picture look at what Hyam Bloom has done on the pitching side, right? Like he hasn't really invested a whole lot in any one player. The most money he spent on one pitcher is Garrett Richards for ten million dollars on a yeah. one year contract. And he hasn't given up any prospects for pitchers. His whole strategy has just been grab guys on the cheap, grab guys that were cast off from other team, pick up a rule five pick here, uh, you know, sign a guy from Japan for a million dollars, you know, take a salary dump and add him out of Vino. He hasn't, he hasn't put any uh, big cost into a pitcher and it's worked well for him because a lot of these guys don't hit guys like Matt Andres don't hit, you know, Austin Bryce, you know, half the guys, more than half and 75% or not 80% of the guys he brought in last year were not good. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, the pitching was terrible last year. It was awful. It, it was really awful. So, um, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't exactly been shooting at a high percentage, but when you don't spend a lot of money on these guys, you can afford to miss on Matt Andres and still be okay. Yeah, and, and it, it, that is a lot of what it is, too, is it's going to be hit or miss. Not everybody is going to be is going to pan out, you know what I mean? And that's just what it's about is just seeing that. And then if they don't work out, then you can afford to not have somebody like that because you, you can bring somebody else in or there's options that you can pull and move people around. And so I think that's the nice thing about it is when, when we brought in Andres, nobody knew how he was going to perform. It was just, let's bring him in and see how he does. If he excels here, great. If not, then you can do something to change that and, and make make different moves so that he's just not here anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, they lose out on $2 million bucks. whoop de doo Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and Workman's another one that I will say has been pretty disappointing in terms of just how he was before he got traded and then where he's at now. And I think when, you know, when they traded him for Pavetta and Siebel, that was a really good trade on Himes part. And I mean, look at what they scored with Pavetta. I mean, he's had a really good season so far. And so that's been great. But then the fact that they were able to get Workman back, I was like, wow. So they really only at the end of the day had to give up Hembry because now they have Workman back but Workman hasn't really had the best stuff either in the outings that he's had. I mean, even against the Yankees, he just, he just could not find the strike zone. And that's just been, seems to be kind of a consistent thing with him from what we've seen when he's come out. 
Yeah, no, you're exactly right. You know, he's not he's not throwing his fastball for strikes, and that makes it really difficult because his fastball is getting crushed. Uh, yeah. And you know, he's, he's obviously got a great curveball. He's very similar to Matt Barnes, just a fastball curveball guy. Um, but he doesn't have the velocity that Barnes has, and he certainly hasn't had the location that Barnes has. And he's he's looked like a much different pitcher because of it. Um, you know, Galax Core has given him some big opportunities. He had he had a big opportunity in the Angels game against Shohei Otani and got the job done. Uh, he's had some big opportunities to pitch in other games and hasn't. So um, right now he looks kind of like, you know, hey, they don't have anybody better. Keep him on the fringe. He's he's probably one of the last relievers that they go to for the most part. Uh, and yeah. see see if he could turn it around. And if not, they'll probably let him go. Yeah, and I mean, just don't just don't be bringing him in in any high leverage situations and then, and then you're fine because then if you bring him in in situations where – you know, it's a blowout, then you can just see if he if he's going to start to improve in that situation and then just go from there. And then if he doesn't, then he doesn't. And then you just adjust that way. But that's that's the nice thing about some of these pitchers is you don't need to put all these pitchers in when it's a high leverage situation. And he's one of the pitchers that fits into that category. Right. Yep, exactly. And they've got enough of the guys right now, at least, that they trust in those bigger spots with, you know, Barnes and Adovino. Josh Taylor's obviously been sneaky good this year. You know, Sawamura has given up a lot of home runs. Um, and, you know, I'm starting to wonder if he's going to lose his high leverage spots because of it. But he, yeah. he seems like he's an all or nothing guy. Like either, you know, that splitter is nasty when it works. And when he hangs one, it's hit a long ways. But they've got four or five guys with Whitlock and, you know, Darwin's and Hernandez. I'm not sure if they can trust him either because he's, he's so erratic. But he's got the stuff that are probably going to be ahead of Workman right now. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, I trust I, I, I trust Whitlock. I'd honestly say more, I think, than Sawamura right now because he's at least more consistent. Whereas with Sawamura, you don't really know what you're going to get from him a lot of times, and that's a little bit scary. Yeah. I'd probably put Whitlock up there as the number two or number three reliever on this team right now. Yeah, he's 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 fantastic. Yeah, I think he's right up there. And obviously, Matt Barnes has been a complete surprise in the closing spot because he nobody ever thought that he could be a closer and be that good. But he's been a, such a key part to this team's success this year in close games. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you know, a lot of people are kind of giving Brian Cashman a lot of a lot of crap for missing out on this opportunity to protect Garrett Whitlock, but. You know, for yeah. me, it's hard to blame him. The guy's coming off Tommy John surgery. He hasn't pitched above, I think, single A. I can't remember if he's even pitched in double A. Um, so that's a that's a tough guy to to protect to use a forty man spot on. But if you don't know your system, that's what happens. And yeah. you know, this is why Brian Cashman's considered to be on the hot seat in New York right now. It's not just Garrett Whitlock. It's a whole slew of of missed opportunities and maybe misjudgments. And there's a lot of blame to go around in New York. Yeah, and for good reason, though, because, I mean, the Yankees have not been able to produce. And and he's when he's been in his position, he's had opportunities to do things to really reconstruct that team. And he just hasn't he just hasn't made a lot of the best decisions. And I do think that his time is running out. And especially with the way that that team is performing this year, when they really might not go to the playoffs, I think that's going to be really telling to see what they do in the off season. And if, if, if they do let him go, because I don't see them really being able to win a championship if he's still there. And even Aaron Boone, I would argue is in that same category. I think that he might be a little bit on the hot seat too, because 
managing wise, I don't know that he's the best guy to lead them to a World Series either. So I think that there are some changes that need to happen in the Yankees organization. And it's not even just it's not even just about you know, their lineup construction, because that is an issue as well. Um, but I think that there, as a result of that, like, you know, we're really seeing this year how many holes that Yankees team really has. And on paper, they were supposed to be, you know, the best team in the American League and the favorite to win the AL and go to the World Series before the season started. And on paper, there's a lot of talent on that team. It's just they just have too many of the same types of hitters right now. Yeah, I think you're right about that, you know, and I don't know if I would completely tear down this team. I think that there's still there's still such a good core with Aaron Judge and uh you know, when Luis Severino comes back from Tommy John, that they really got unlucky with that that Severino yeah. got hurt in his recovery. You know, they I think Luke Voigt's missed most of the year with an injury. They've had a lot of injuries as well. You know, Corey Kluber, they signed for $11 million, was supposed to be good, and he was. You know, through a yeah. no-hitter, he was tremendous. And then he gets hurt. Um, they have a ton so, of injuries right now. That's yeah, cool. I think the, the biggest knock on Cashman, I guess, is maybe the Stanton trade. Uh, you know, I think Garrett Cole's certainly been outstanding, even though there was the brief hiccup where he was getting used to throwing without any sticky stuff. Um, yeah. He's back to being dominant again. Uh, maybe it's just around the edges that they haven't done a good job of of adding depth in, in their farm system, having guys to call up from the farm system who could really help them, um, where maybe that's where you look at Cashman and say he could have done a better job. Yeah, and I honestly, in the future going forward, am much more worried about the Blue Jays than I am about the Yankees. I think the mm. Blue Jays have a lot of young talent, and that's yep. going to be a team that's going to be really, really good. And I know they, they've had some injuries this season too, but with the, with the way that, they're, that, that their lineup is constructed right now, there's a lot of talent over there. And it's, it's really, you know, I think that that's going to be a team that is going to worry me more in the future than the Yankees right now until the Yankees make some other changes to their organization. I think that the Blue Jays are going to be a team that the Red Sox are going to have to look out for for a while. Yeah, I mean, they got, you know, two superstars and Vlad Jr. and Bo Bichette look like really superstar players. It's just a yep. matter of whether or not a lot, of their, a lot of their pitching prospects come to fruition and, and pitch as well as they thought they were. And, they've you know, they made some good free agent signings. Marcus Semien's been tremendous. Um, Ryu's always really kind of an underrated pitcher. I can't believe they got him for 20 million a year. And we still yeah. haven't seen much of George Springer who's been out most of the year. So, yeah, I've always, I've been on the Blue Jays train right with you, Gabby. I think th this was a team coming into the year. I expected to be better than the Red Sox. Uh, and they just haven't stayed healthy enough and haven't got the pitching to do that. Yeah, I think they're definitely better than what their record says right now. I think that there's just a lot of circumstances with them this season, but I think that their record doesn't reflect how talented that team actually is. And I think if we get a full season of all of them healthy, that can be a dangerous team. And and they they I mean, them in Tampa Bay do scare me. I mean, because the, the Rays are just the Rays and they always find a way to be good. Um, and nobody quite understands exactly how that goes with them or, or how that works. But I mean, they, they're another team that, you know, they still worry me. And even going forward as the season progresses, these next couple weeks are all division matchups. And that's going to be really telling if they can come out of that, this stretch here and still be in first place in the AL East, then I'd be pretty confident in 
where they're at in terms of the division standings at that point, because, you know, it, it finished this series against the Blue Jays, hopefully take two of three. I mean, they obviously came out angry last night. That was fun to watch. They came out angry after losing two of three to the Yankees. And, you know, they had struggled. I mean, they had a rough series against the Angels and a rough season, a rough series against the Phillies right before the All-Star break. Those are two beatable teams. And they they were just in, you know, the, the offense in the Phillies series wasn't what it what we're used to either and then against the Yankees obviously the offense was struggling too and then the pitching kind of fell apart in that that last game against the Yankees um but you know overall it was just that stretch those three series were just tough and they came out angry last night against the Blue Jays and it was really clear I mean somebody had to pay for uh their their anger towards losing that series against the Yankees and it was clear, you know, they came out with a lot of fire in that game last night. I mean, eight runs in the first inning. And I was like, okay, well, I, this should be pretty safe now, but you never know that. Right. But, um, but that was, so that was fun to watch. And so I think so. some people, you know, some people just overreact sometimes on social media and they're like, oh no, the season is over. Like blow everything up. Like we should sell at the deadline. Like <laughs> the team is not good. And I was like, it's baseball. Every team has tough stretches. It's just part of the game. It's a long season. And the Red Sox just were in a tough stretch. But now, hopefully, last night's game kind of fuels them to get back on track. And I'm hoping that, you know, if you can take two of three from the Blue Jays, then that would be good. And then you have to you have to go back home and have a better series against the Yankees than you did last weekend at Yankee Stadium. Because then if you can do that then that would be considered a good week. And then it's Blue Jays again, and then they play the Rays for three. So it's that's, that stretch is really, really important, these next few series in terms of the division standings, because they, they could really gain a lot of ground on the other teams in the division if they, if they win a lot of those games. Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, it was pretty telling when Christian Vasquez came out after the Yankees game and said, "We're not playing like a confident team right now. Yeah. You know, we're a first place that was team." A powerful statement. We're yeah, exactly. We're you know, we need to be more cocky. And um, you know, I think Vasquez has been kind of a sneaky good leader on this team for years. He he has some really good quotes. He seems to really understand what's going on. I remember 2019, at one point during the season, he said, "Everyone knows our pitching plan. We, like we need to switch it up. Everyone knows what we're doing." Um, and he was right. You know, they really did need to switch it up. It was pretty obvious at that point, and they were getting shelled. Um, so they come out the next day, and Alex Cora says, hey, I saw your quote. You know, well, that's pretty interesting. He, Cora ends up agreeing with Vasquez. Hey, let's shake this entire thing up. And they shake up the lineup. And, you know, I don't think the lineup change actually really affected the team very much. You know, they, they said they wanted to get J.D. Martinez down in the order to get some more guys on base for him. Well, Xander Bogarts went 0 for 5 in this game. You know, yeah. he wasn't on base for him. Jaron Duran was 1 for 6 with a home run, so he was never on base. Kiki Hernandez had two homers, so he was never on base. Nobody was on base for JD. He went 4 for 4 with zero yeah. RBIs. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's not like the lineup change was magic, but I think what it did was it woke these guys up a little bit and it shook things up. And, you know, Alex Verdugo had some pressure taken off of him uh, by moving down to the sixth spot, and he walks three times in the game. Um, so, you know, Cora's just got such a good feel for the clubhouse and understanding of what's going on. He listens to his players. Like when Vasquez says something, he's paying attention. He makes the changes he needs to change. And I think that's why 
you know, you have more confidence in this team than, than maybe you would otherwise is even though they aren't the most talented team on maybe half the time out there, you know, they have a good manager, they have good leadership, they've got good chemistry. They just, they win close games. You, you, you trust them in those situations. Yeah. And this team wants to win so badly. It's so, so clear and so evident that losses hurt them so much. And I think that that really helps fuel the energy when they approach games going forward. Because, I mean, this team has not had, you know, had a long period where they've lost a bunch of consecutive games. Because, I mean, yeah, maybe they'll lose two or three games, but then they'll bounce back because that's what they always do because they they just hate losing. And I think that that's something that has helped them as well. And with Alex Cora – that's why people always say, talk about how much they like Alice Cora as a manager because he's personable and he can connect with his players. And I think that that's a huge thing. And not every, we, we can't say that about every manager. And I think that Alex Cora has a way of keeping them on track and keeping them motivated and focusing on the goal. And you're right. I mean, on paper, they're not the most talented team in baseball. I mean, there's other teams that physically probably have more talent than them but it's the way that they approach games with that we're never out of it mentality and that's why they have so many comeback wins too because when you think that they're out of it they'll start to make it closer and they'll start scoring some runs and stringing together hits and they just have that approach in every game and I think that that's really really helped this team to have the success that they've had so far and and you know when you look at it I I completely agree with you on the on the lineup change by the way just um I think people will look at it and say it's because he just adjusted the order that people were hitting in but I don't think it's as much that I think it's it was you know frustration after the last series that they had and also just it yeah it woke them up and they they were like yeah like we need to come back here and play the way we know how to play baseball because they definitely did not play to their capability in those last few series and i think that that really helped them realize like you know we need to come out here and we need to do what we do and we need to win games and jaron duran i i'm so excited for him i think he's going to be so good once this kid continues to develop i i think he's going to be really good but with and alex verdugo he has been struggling a bit, and I think that that's him hitting further down in the lineup for now is probably best until he kind of can get back on track. Or some people were saying he should go on the IL for a bit and just have an IL stint and then come back and see if that helps, which maybe it does. I don't know. But I do think that Raphael Devers, I, I like him hitting cleanup. I think that that's a good spot for him, honestly. I, I, I wonder if that's something that we'll see consistently now because I've always wondered how he would do in the cleanup spot because I actually feel like that'd be a good fit for Rafi. Yeah, and, and, and you know when you look at the lineup construction, I don't I don't think Kike Hernandez is the leadoff guy. No. And I think he's kind of shown that, especially against right-handers. I mean, he's not getting on base. Um, yeah. He's hitting home runs. I think you look at the last two weeks, why his numbers look great. He's just hitting homers, which is great. Yeah. Um, but if you got a guy hitting homers, why is he hitting leadoff? You know, you're going to get a lot of solo homers out of that. And you're not really taking advantage of his power. So I think we're going to end up in a spot where Jaron Duran is the leadoff hitter for this team because he's so fast and he can do more than just hit home runs. And if he can learn how to just take his singles, and be a guy that gets on base and, hey, you don't have to hit homers. Like, that's what got you to the big leagues is, you know, a guy who never hit more than five homers at any level all of a sudden has 15 and 40 games at Worcester, um, and now he's in the big leagues because of it. But that's not what he needs to do on this team. I think yeah. he, he just needs to hit singles, take his walks, get on base, 
and be fast. And that's that's what they've been missing. If you think back to like the great team that they had in 2013, which I think is the most similar team to this one. Yeah, because they, that's they were, the, the team that this team reminds me a lot of, actually. Yeah, they didn't have the most talent on any nights. They didn't have an overpowering ace. They just they just had guys that came together well and played well. And that team had speed at the top of the order. They had Jacoby Ellsbury and Shane Victorino. And I remember talking to Joe Madden the following spring training when Ellsbury went to the Yankees, and I think Victorino was hurt. And he said, this team looks different, man. Like speed is why they were so dangerous and they don't have that this year. And obviously the 2014 Red Sox were not very good. Um, but I, I think Jaron Duran makes a difference in that category by giving them that speed that they haven't really had. And, and so I could see him being the leadoff hitter by the end of the year, if not sooner. And then you can maybe JD comes up and hits second. Like a lot of teams have their best hitters hitting second. Bogart's third, Devers fourth, and then maybe Kike Durant or uh, Renfro or someone else. Hopefully they go get a nice left-handed bat who could hit fifth or sixth and, and really lengthen their lineup out a little bit. If Verdugo's healthy, I'm sure he'd be down there too. Yeah. And I mean, with Duran, he's already taken some great at bats here. Even the times that he didn't get on base, you know, he, he, he's taken some really good at bats from what I've seen already. And I think that that's really promising because obviously the, the plate discipline will come with time and just being able to, you know, get on base and, and take walks if there's if that is the situation and, and just being able to recognize that or be patient at the plate and, you know, hit singles, hit double, doubles, steal bases, things like that. He's a really versatile player offensively. And I think that that's something that's going to be really important to this team and really beneficial. And, you know, Alex Verdugo, I, I, I like him a lot. I think that you know, I think he has a lot of talent. I just think he's been struggling a bit lately, and hopefully we can get him out of that. And Renfro also was in a major slump. Hopefully last night broke him out of that because he had some good hits last night too. So I'm hoping that maybe Renfro's slump is now over after last night. But, you know, hitters get into slumps. It just is what it is. It just happens. But with Verdugo, I mean, you know, I'm hoping that – that kind of changes soon because he has been struggling relative to what we've seen from him all season, really before that. Yeah. You know, this is a guy who's never really had a chance to play every day over a full season, you know, yeah. kind, of, kind of more of a platoon player with the Dodgers. You know, only had 377 at bats in 2019 and he did well, you know, last year was obviously a short season. He was probably the Red Sox best player last season, but it was a 60 game season. Uh, so we haven't seen him have to, grind through a full year this is already he's already just about reached the most playing time he's ever had in a season before and there's no doubt he's struggling to hold up physically and he's had this yeah. hamstring issue that's drove him nuts all year and and i think the questions are valid when people are say well should he just be on the injured list for a little while yeah um, i've thought take, of it I, take, I, I, yeah. I i've wondered you know maybe that would be beneficial for him to just have an il stint for a little and just have some time before he comes back and maybe that would help him yeah, absolutely. You know, these hamstring issues can linger if they're not properly taken care of. And and that's you wonder. I mean, he's been terrible against lefties. Um, it's you know, to the point where you almost can't even put him in the lineup. He's been so bad against lefties. He's got OPS under 500. He's hitting 200. Um, they've got other guys who can hit lefties. I, I, I'm surprised that they haven't just given him some some more rest. Say, hey, you know, just play against righties. Take give your hamstring some time or, or just take two weeks off, you know, go to the injured list for two weeks and rest up and see what happens because what they're getting out of him right now is, you know, he's okay. You know, he had three walks on, on Monday. Um, you know, he's still not a bad player, but if you want this guy to be healthy and productive at the end of the season and uh, it, it, he might need some rest to get there. 
Yeah, it's it's like, you know, you'd rather rest him now for a couple weeks when they're still at this point in the season than you're, when you're getting to the end of the season and then maybe he gets worse or it hasn't improved and then you're realizing when it's crunch time at the end of the season that you can't put him in the lineup, you know? I feel like I'd rather him just take him out of the lineup and then just have him rest for a couple of weeks. And then if he comes back, maybe he'll be better. Yeah, exactly. Because he's somebody that, you know, if he's, if he's hitting to his full potential, then this lineup, it, it can be really, really scary. And we've seen it when everybody's hitting well, you know, including him, this is a tough, tough offense to pitch to. And it already is in general, just with the talent that they have in that lineup. But when, you know, when you have everybody really hitting, nobody wants to pitch to that that lineup because it's scary. And Hunter Renfro has really been a good addition for this team. I think he he contributes a lot. And obviously defensively, he's been really good with that arm and everything else. And, and he's been a pretty good hitter too. And so I think having Renfro has has really actually been a good addition to this team. And when when they signed him, I, that's kind of what I thought. I, I said, you know, I feel like I could see him fitting in here. And I think that he's somebody that is going to be able to contribute, especially, you know, um, offensively, but even his defense. And the outfield defensively has been a pleasant surprise because obviously with the circumstances with the outfield, you know, no more Mookie, no more Benintendi, no more JBJ. People were concerned about the outfield defensively, but they've honestly been a pleasant surprise to me. Yeah, they've certainly played well on defense, no question about it. I mean, I don't think they've missed Jackie Bradley at all. Um, no, which, I don't think so. Which, uh, you know, probably not a huge surprise. I think some people thought they were really going to miss him on defense. Um, you know, Alex Verdugo was a tremendous right fielder last year. We knew that. I don't think any of us except the Red Sox knew how good Hunter Renfro was at defense. Um, yeah. I still don't think he's an everyday player. And, you know, I, I'm going to keep making this argument until he changes my mind. He, he doesn't hit right-handers. You know, he's tremendous against lefties. He's been so good against them his whole career. And this yeah. is why the Rays, you know, DFA'd him rather than just pay him an arbitration salary uh, in November after he was on that team that went to the World Series. And he signed for three million bucks because he hits lefties. That's what he does. He doesn't hit righties. He never has in his six years in the big leagues and isn't hitting them well even right now. You know, he's done most of his damage against lefties. He's got some homers against righties, but he's still got an OPS under 700. He's all the statistics say he's a well below average hitter against right-handers. So yeah. that's that's where you look at it and say, hey, could he be a perfect platoon with Alex Verdugo? You know, what a, you can't get better than that if you platoon Renfro and Verdugo against righties and lefties. That's tremendous. If you get one more player, well, now you have Jaron Duran playing center field. You know, do you, do you send Kike to the outfield again? Do you pick up a left fielder? And trade talks, you know, I think that's a legitimate possibility. There's so many good left-handing hitter hitting corner outfielders like Kyle Schwarber and Joey Gallo and Kyle Seeger, these guys that are out there on the trade market that can really help this team. Because yeah, you're right. They've been tremendous on defense in the outfield. I still think they could get more production on offense. Yeah. I I I a hundred percent agree. And with the, you know, in terms of all of that, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of players that that they could go after, but who are players in particular that you think from a first base standpoint would be a good addition or somebody that you think that they should definitely try to go for? Yeah, I'm all in on the Anthony Rizzo train. You know, I, I like it. I, I know that it might cost you a little more than you're comfortable giving. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah. But if you can, if you, if you're high in bloom and you can figure out a way to, where you're not giving up too much, you know, one guy I look at as, as a trade 
target or, or guy maybe can give up. Well, first of all, what I think Kyle Bloom's going to try to do is I think he's going to try to give up guys who are already on the 40-man roster because they're going to have a 40-man crunch this winter anyway. And so you look at guys like Bobby Dahlbeck, Michael Chavis, guys that probably aren't part of the future. Uh, and can you get something for them? You know, can, can you package them in a deal where you don't have to give up one of your best prospects? Maybe you're throwing like your, your eighth, ninth, tenth best prospect and a guy like Dahlbeck or Chavis, uh, or maybe one of your pitchers if you've got an extra reliever. I don't think they, they actually do have any pitchers to trade. So I'm going to stick with Dahlbeck and Chavis as guys that can trade. Or even Jeter Downs, you know, who's been such a highly regarded prospect, but has played terribly in Worcester this year. Yeah. The reviews coming out of Worcester have not been good about his defense or his offense. He's back to playing shortstop again. I thought he was going to play second base, maybe be this team's second baseman of the future. He's back to playing shortstop, which makes you wonder, are they trying to pump up his trade value? Are they trying to get rid of him as a shortstop? I'm always skeptical of prospects that have been traded two or three times before they hit the big leagues. Like, why do they keep getting traded? And that's the case with Jeter Downs. So you wonder about him. Maybe he's a guy that they could package. But I think it's worth it if you could get Anthony Rizzo. This is a guy who's playoff tested. You know, he, he was came through the system in the Red Sox. They know what kind of character he is. He's a great clubhouse guy by all accounts. Hits left-handed. Um, he really fits his team so well. And he's only on the final year of his contract. So there's no financial obligation for next year. Yeah. To me, he makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I, I've, you know, I, I've heard a lot of mixed opinions on that with him, and I think for me, it's yeah, you know, pretty much what you're getting if you get him, and you know that he's somebody that's going to be able to contribute right away. And now that we're in that point of the season where you just need somebody that can just get the job done right away, like you know that he's somebody that can do that, and he can hit, and he can play good defense, and you know that you know that that's what you're getting from him. And I think Bobby Dahlbeck, yeah, it's unfortunate really how everything's panned out with him because I think that people had high hopes for him. And, I mean, I did too. And and I thought, you know, at first I really thought that maybe he was going to be better than he was. And, and it's just sad that he's not really panning out and he's had a lot of opportunities to try to show that that he can – you know, make an impact here, but it's just not working. And I think that there are other teams that maybe would take on somebody like him, maybe help prosper him more and would just fit in somewhere else better. And and I think that that's something that you can consider. And that, that way you're not getting rid of some of those really be those best prospects that you have that you want to use as part of your future to come up later on. Yeah. I think, you know, that that's a good point about maybe he, he would be better off somewhere else, you know, because you do wonder if it's been a pressure thing with him. Like he hit so well when he came up in those 23 games last year, but it was a no pressure situation. It was a last place team. They weren't going anywhere. He hit really well in spring training. Again, really no pressure situation. These games didn't matter. He was already the first baseman. He didn't really have to compete for it. Uh, and then the pressure hits and, and he's just he's been really quite awful all year. You know, the one thing he does well is hit lefties. So maybe there's a team out there that says, hey, he's been a pretty decent defender. He can play third base. You know, he's a minor league defensive player of the year for the Red Sox a couple years ago as a third baseman. Um, maybe there is a rebuilding team that would give him a chance, reset a little bit, uh, play some third, play some first, no pressure, take the pressure off and see if he can gain some confidence as a big league player because it's just not happening here. And they have Tristan, Tristan Cassis in the minor leagues. It's probably only a year away from being a really good first baseman. They just don't need Dahlbeck right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, th that's, that's what I think. I think it, it really could come, come down to just, you know, the pressure of how intense and how important these games are for this team. That's actually a contending team now and a team that 
very much could win their division. And so you are playing games that are important. It's not like this is, you know, the Orioles or a team like that, that, you know, is just not going anywhere this season. So they're just playing games really with nothing to lose right now. And maybe at first he does need to start off in a system like that. So he can really focus on his development process and then maybe he'll prosper later on. But we, the Red Sox and what they're trying to do right now he's just not part of that equation. And so I think that I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he goes, um, but we'll see what they can really get for him. I, I think if, but if they can get an Anthony Rizzo type of player here, that's going to solve a lot of problems and th- that's going to make them just even better. And they're already playing pretty well, but that's just going to make them a lot better down the stretch. And that's going to be a tough team to be. If you have somebody like that, that can just enhance your lineup a little bit and, produce towards the bottom of the order because it's the bottom of the order has been an issue this season because you haven't gotten a whole lot of production from the, the that bottom half of the order and so if you can get somebody like him that you know can can help you produce in the bottom of the order I think that that's key right now is what they need to focus on because that has been something that we've seen be an issue this season there, there just hasn't been overall a lot of production from those hitters yep um, and I mean, obviously Danny Santana is one of those people that we, that we've seen struggle this season too. So he probably isn't going to be here anymore either. So I think that people can kind of, you know, take that away from the whole thing that we won't even probably even have to deal with him for much longer as it is, but <laughs> it's just the bottom of the order as a whole just has been a frustration in general. And I think, you know, I like Hunter Renfro overall, but you you can't rely on him to be that guy that's going to produce every day at, in the bottom of the lineup. You just can't. It's not going to happen. Yeah, he, exactly. He's great against lefties, but you know, it's hard. It's hard to ask him to be a run producer against right-handers. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, but you know, it's overall. I I think they're in a good place still. These next couple of weeks are going to be super telling. Um, you know, with the next the, the the teams that they play in the next few series, um, just got to finish out strong against the Blue Jays in this series, and then have a really good series at home against the Yankees, and then you know continue from there and just keep playing good baseball. But if we go into the beginning of August, and you know after the trade deadline is passed, and and we see what changes were made, and they're still at the top of their division, then I'm going to feel really really good about things going forward for the the last couple months of the regular season. Yeah, you know, there's really no reason to feel bad about them right now. Like, they're yeah, in first exactly. place. They got Chris Sale on the men. They just called up two prospects. Like, there's there's no reason to be feeling bad about the Red Sox. I think there's – if they go through the trade deadline and every other team gets better and they don't, well, now you're looking at it and say, what's going on? Well, exactly, why is it, why yeah. Is um, but yeah. if they go to the trade deadline, they pick up a key piece, you know, they get Sale back a week later, Duran's playing well, I mean – they could really gain some momentum because at the moment I'd probably still pick the White Sox and the Astros as being better teams than them on paper. Yeah, I don't uh, want to play the Astros in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, the Astros what went five and one against them. This yeah, season. yeah, I think it was like yeah five and two or something like that was the Astros record against the Red Sox this year. They took like one game in each series. The Red Sox, right? So you know that's a team you're scared to face. The White Sox they've only played four times and have gone two and two against them. So yeah. you know th- this is. This is an opportunity for them to add a piece, give them some momentum. Then you get Chris Sale back, really pick up steam going into August and September. 
Yeah, and you still need to keep an eye on Tampa Bay, though, because they are really just right on our tails. I mean, they have been all season. It's just been – they've been right there. So you still have to keep an eye on the Rays. But if they can add a piece at the trade deadline, then, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll feel pretty good. I mean, I still don't know how confident I'd feel playing the Astros, even if they do get a piece, because for some reason they just struggle against the against that team. But I, I do think that this is a team that genuinely, if they get the right piece at the deadline, will really be able to compete with these other playoff caliber teams. And, you know, they, they're good enough now to make the playoffs. But if they get another piece that can really help them, it's going to be a tough team a tough team to beat and a tough lineup for pitchers to go against. Yeah. Yeah. And the race only scare me if Tyler glass now comes back, you know, he's got the UCL tear yeah. and he's been out and we don't know if he's going to come back. And if he does, how good he's going to be. He's, he's the guy for them. Yeah. That and was unfortunate no when it. he went down. I was like, their season very much could be, this could literally be the, what determines their season. Yeah. And you know, they're a scrappy team. They've got some, they've always got extra pitchers to go around, but they, it's just such a different look when you have glass now, especially in a playoff series, glass now pitching game one, you know, he's an ace. He's a true ace. And there aren't a lot of them. The Red Sox, I'd say don't have one right now. As good as Nathan Navaldi's yeah, been, yeah. you know, he's a good player. I don't know if he's an ace. Um, yeah. And, and even Pavetta is not an ace. I would not consider him an ace. Oh either. gosh, no, <laughs> uh, no, not even close. Um, yeah, exactly. They don't have one. They don't have that true number one guy right now. They don't, and neither do the Rays. And so that's why I think Glasnow and Sale can kind of be the wild cards in this over the final two months in this division. Yeah, and that's what I'm hoping is that when Sale comes back, he is good enough to really actually be that number one guy because, you know, obviously it's so hard with Tommy John and you don't know, but Alex Cora said he's been looking really good. And I so I'm hoping that when he comes back that he could be that game changer because you can't go into the playoffs without – a solid ace, a number one pitcher. You really can't. Yeah. And we've, know, and we've seen what's happened with the Red Sox before when they've done that. Yeah, exactly. And we've been able to get away with it this season so far with what they've been doing with the pitching, but it's not going to be sustainable for the postseason if you don't have that one guy, which Chris Sale can be, hopefully. So, so that's it's exciting. I think it's going to be a good rest of the season. I, I, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I love this team. I think they're fun to watch, and I think that they just come out there every day and they work hard and they they want to win games, and that's huge. Yeah, they they have been fun to watch. Yeah, but I really appreciate you joining me on the show today. It's it's been a lot of fun. I'll, it's always fun talking Red Sox baseball, and I always enjoy your content on Twitter too so um keep doing what you're doing everybody please follow him on social media he does a really really good job with his coverage and everybody definitely check out his podcast um too it's all red Sox, and who wouldn't want to listen to red Sox talk every day so definitely check that out too um and everyone again thank you so much for tuning into the show i always appreciate everybody's constant support so i hope you all have a great rest of your week and most importantly go red Sox.